Whilst I preach tonight, I'd like, um, I'd like you to pray, all right? Pray that God sort of just helps me from coughing too much this evening. Um, I'll turn this off. chapter 8, John chapter 8, and <clears throat> it's going to be an interesting passage tonight, but rather I believe it's, it's a passage that, um, that really depicts um, this attribute that we're going to study this evening, John chapter 8, and we'll read, beginning reading in verse 1, John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. Verse 3 of John chapter 8, and the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Verse 6, they said, tempting him, that they might have accused him, have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he had heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. At her. In verse 8, and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they, the, uh, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. In verse 10 is an interesting passage. He says this When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And tonight, I, I, I'd like us to explore just, just briefly um, this attribute that God has. And this, this attribute is, is God's justice. God's justice. So, um, again, um, I would like to, to give you a, a definition of justice for you. It states this. <coughs> justice is the virtue which consists in giving to, one, uh, to everyone what is his due. Practical conformity to the laws and to the principles um, in the dealings of men with each other. It also implies honesty, integrity in the commerce or mutual in, intercourse there's justice in distributive or, or commutative. <laughs> um, it's fair dealing in trade and mutual intercourse between man and man. That's justice in the sight of men. The word justice is synonymously used with the word righteousness. And oftentimes, um, we, we understand what righteousness is means, but according and applied to God, righteousness is the perfect and holiness of His nature, His faithfulness. And here what we, what we have tonight is, is simply this, is this, um, this concept of who God is in, in His entirety is just. 
He is just. But see, God is not just. He is justice. God is justice. See, as finite people, we, we follow certain laws. We, we have certain standards of justice. I'll give you an example. When you drove your car tonight, um, you obeyed by the rules. Why? Because legally, that's what we're supposed to do. Um, some tonight um, may have had the opportunity to, to give um, to the poor this week. Some of us maybe, maybe had the opportunity to, instead of us taking something, we gave it to another person instead. What's that? That's a, that's a standard. Consciously, we follow this standard. Biblically, we follow the scriptures, right? Amen? That's what we should do. Biblically, you have a standard that the, the Bible has set forth in how you should be living your life. That's what you should be following. There's standards that we take, and, and, and there's other standards like cultural norms. Um, in places, they don't have ties. There's places all around the world that, that their cultural norm is not, is not to wear a tie. Um, there's places all around the world that, that their roads are, not, are paved. They're not paved like our roads. This is their cultural norm. And so when they, they were to walk down the street, I was remembering some of the, the photos that um, the, the Portillos are showing in, in Argentina, and the roads are, are red. And r- red dirt and red sand and red whatever it is, they'd walk down, and, and as, even though it was only a couple minutes walk to the church, their shoes and their pants are already dirty. That was a cultural norm. You couldn't stop it. It's something that was accepted there. But we need to understand tonight that God does not follow a standard. He is the standard. Amen? God does not follow a standard. He is the standard. And when we talk about God's justice, we, might, we, we must connect God's justice with God's judgment. And I know tonight could be a little bit heavy for some people, but the beautiful thing is it's, it's not heavy at all. It's, it's actually a surety for us. It's, it's something that should encourage you in, the, in knowing that this attribute and character trait of God, that He is not just <coughs> following a standard. He is the standard. And when we talk about God's justice, we must connect Him to the notion of His judgment. Um, Tozer defines His judgment as the application of justice to a moral situation. An application of justice to a moral situation. Okay. With all these concepts being pointed out tonight, and some of you are writing notes, some of you have amazing memories, um, we need to put all these together and, and, and really ask the question, if, if God is not just just, He is justice. If God is just, then He is righteousness. If God is just, then he has to have perfect judgment. Then in each and every one of our life, we have a question that arises from from these points. And it's simply this. How How does a God that is just spare the wicked if he's supremely just? One of the theologians asked, this question, how dost thou spare the wicked if thou art just and supremely just? Have you ever thought about that? If, if someone is supremely just, then how in the world does he 
God be able to, to justify that, what we're saying, um, to justify the wicked and still maintain his justness. This is a dilemma that everyone else, everyone here experiences, but you're not, it, it's not placed in that, in that particular statement. This is what people will say. If, if a God is so loving, why would he allow that to happen? Have you heard that, that before? Yes? Same, same p- particular thought or thinking process. If, if God really cared about you, why did he allow that sickness to happen in your life? And the same concept is that if God is so just and if God is, is justice, then how in the world does he forgive wickedness and remain just? And so tonight I want to unpack this for you. I want you to be able to leave the church this evening and be able to explain, in some sense, how God is able to take a wicked person and consider them just in its entirety, in, in his character, and still remain the man, uh, the God that we expect God to be. First point for us this evening, simply this. For God to have pure justice, he must know every situation in its entirety. For God to have complete justice, he must know every situation in its entirety. And you say, okay, show me from the Bible. This is the text that we're in right now. Jesus Christ just, just went to the, the Mount of Olives, and, and the Bible doesn't explain what Jesus Christ was doing up in the Mount of Olives. But we notice this. He travels down early in the morning in verse 2, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. Verse 3, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery. And it says this, in the very act. And so if you picture in your mind, this is the temple, it's happening there, and, and, and Jesus Christ is, has probably just read the, the, the Old Testament scriptures and then there's, a, there's another person that would read the New Testament scriptures. And, and after that, they'll, they'll close the books and they'll sit down and they begin to teach. As he's teaching, the scribes and Pharisees open the door and drag this woman kicking and screaming into the temple. You're here to hear what, the, what, what this, 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 this man, this this man that said he was God. You're, here to hear, you're, you're there to hear what he says, and, and it's all disrupted. And here what, what they do is they, they bring her in the midst of a teaching time. Isn't that interesting? It, it wasn't a time when Jesus Christ was on the side and not doing anything. It was often the times when Jesus Christ was imparting truth that the devil attacks. And so it is the same with us. And that's the reason why it's such a struggle sometimes when we, we come to church and we hear the, the Bible open and, and we talk about spiritual things and it's a difficult thing to do. Why? Because it's a spiritual battle that's going on. And we were discussing this with a couple of brothers last week in discipleship. The truth is, is that when you came into the church tonight, you are in a, a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare. And what the devil wants you to do is to, to zone out. The devil wants you to, to disregard everything that will be said this evening 
Why? Because they know that he knows that this is the most important time. In order for, for God to be in complete, complete just and, and give complete justice, he needs to know everything about the situation. And he sure did. He sure did. When the Pharisees came in, they didn't care about the law of Moses. When the Pharisees came in, they didn't care about truth and providing truth to everybody there that, was, that came early to church to hear what the, what the man of God had to say. They didn't care about that. The reason why they cared so much about what Jesus Christ was going to say was exactly what it says here. Um, they, they wanted to, to use that. In verse 6, they're tempting him that they might have accused him Accuse him, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, and it says this, this little phrase, it's, it's in italics in your scriptures. It says this, as though he heard them not. As though he heard them not. Don't miss the little nuggets that, that God just places in scripture. There will be times when you're going through struggles where God allows you to have a choice to listen or to not listen. And Jesus, instead of reacting to the situation, like a normal person would, imagine this, I'm preaching or, or you're preaching or you're teaching your family and someone jumps into, the, into your lounge room or comes into the church, starts screaming and saying, what are you going to do about this? The law of Moses says we've got to stone this girl. What are you going to do about it? Jesus decided to put that aside and say, okay, I'm going to continue teaching. And this is where it's crazy. This is where it's, it's so beautiful when you read the scriptures, and you have to keep, keep it in its context, but you see the applications throughout a lot of these things that Jesus Christ did. Um, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. The Bible doesn't say what he wrote. and A lot of us have a lot of conjecture. Theologians would write, oh, maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments or Maybe he wrote the sins of certain people. Maybe he wrote, maybe he wrote the, the goodness of God. But nonetheless, Jesus Christ didn't react to the circumstance that was right in his face. Instead, he wrote. And what we need to understand, firstly, if, if we're going to ever answer this concept or this question, how does, how does a, a just and supremely just God spare the wicked and remain just? We need to understand that God knows everything from where it was to where it will be. God understands the whole circumstance. And he will not respond to what we expect him to do. In Leviticus 20, verse 10, it says this. I want, I want um, let you guys turn there. It says this in Leviticus 20, verse 10. The man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and adulteresses, adulteress shall be surely put to death. That was the law. That was the expectation. And every single person that was in that room knew what the Bible said knew what the Old Testament law said in regards to adultery. 
they knew that this woman, when they dragged her in, caught in the very act, was deserved of death. 100%. Everyone knew that. They just wanted to see what Jesus Christ would do. And as we <coughs> endeavor to, to study how he did this, um, there's a danger where we think, we think of Jesus Christ and we think of God the same way as the Pharisees did. There's a danger of perceiving God to be that, that way. And, and I'll give you an example of it. You, we sort of picture in our mind, <coughs> we sort of picture in our mind this throne. And on this throne you have God and he's sitting there. And, and you see this, this, this sinner that's before him. And, and, and <coughs> what we do is in, in our mind we sort of play this role that, that God is doing. And, um, God looks at the sinner and, and in, his, in his perfect justice says you are condemned to hell because of your sin. You, 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 you cannot and you will not be a partaker of my family. You, you are not part of us. Your, your judgment is hell. But then we sort of picture in our mind the, the little tear that falls down God's face and, 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 and you see this little side of God where his, his mercy is there. Oh, but the mercy of God. And now it's breaking his heart because he has to send this man into judgment. That is not how God works. Amen? When God is just, he is supremely just. When God is merciful, he's supremely merciful. And so what we need to understand tonight is that even though the Pharisees came and said, we wanted you to act this way, and God didn't act any way that they expected him to be, this is exactly the same way we should preach your God. God does, God's not a schizophrenic. He doesn't, he doesn't fight with himself. There's no internal conversation between God. When, when God makes a judgment, when God sends somebody to hell, it's perfect. It's perfect judgment. And so, we take that notion. I know a lot of people are getting uncomfortable right now. It's okay. Why? Because everybody in this room is just as wicked as that woman was. Myself included. We need to start seeing ourselves for who we are, for who we were, without Jesus. And my friend, it wasn't a pretty sight. And we weren't, we weren't there trying to pull God's heart. No, no. God required, and this is the second point, God required a payment for the sin debt. And the only way that payment could suffice was through Jesus Christ. Was through Jesus Christ. So firstly, in order for God to... to to be completely just in, in allowing a, a wicked person to spare a wicked person, he firstly needed to understand everything from, from the beginning to the last. He's justice. He must know every situation in its entirety. But secondly, this, Jesus became the atonement for sin, thus satisfying the sin debt. Jesus became the atonement for sin, thus satisfying the sin debt. There was a debt that needed to be paid, church. And as you study the scriptures, God's plan was for that sin debt to be paid, but it could not be paid by you and me. The God's plan could not be fruition by human beings. Why? Because see, what it says here, in verse, John chapter 8, verse 10, it says, When Jesus had lifted up 
himself and saw, saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? He put it on her to, to look around. And no doubt she was, because she knew in her heart she was, she was, <laughs> she was in the wrong, man. She, she, they could just take her out of the city, throw stones at her until she dies, and that will be lawful. But as she watched those men walk out, <coughs> God decided <coughs> to show her his grace. <coughs> Jesus became the atonement for sin, thus satisfying the sin debt. God the judge <coughs> is imputing the righteousness of Jesus Christ and giving it to me. God the judge is imputing the righteousness of Jesus Christ and giving it to me. <coughs> Sorry. 2 Corinthians 5.19. Let's turn there. <coughs> Doing okay tonight? Man. 2 Corinthians chapter... Five. <clears throat> Verse 19, it says this, To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's the gospel. We have that opportunity to share the gospel. Verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Thank you, sir. That we, be, <clears throat> that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. <clears throat> God the judge imputed Christ's righteousness on me. Do you know how he makes righteousness, <coughs> unrighteousness, righteousness? <laughs> Let me say that again. Do you know how God takes something that's dirty, unclean, unrighteous, and then now sees it as righteousness? <coughs> Do you know how he does that? Um, if you'd like to write this down, this is a great study for you. And it has a, a great study for me. By making us righteous, um, by making the righteousness of God <clears throat> through, through Christ, making us the righteousness of God through Christ. And that's the verses that we just read, 2 Corinthians 5.21. But the way he does that, <clears throat> and he allows the unrighteousness, uh, unrighteous to become righteous, is by giving us the gift of righteousness. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. <clears throat> For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. <clears throat> the first Adam failed. He sinned. And so God sent second Adam, who was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ started this thing that, that no one else could have done. He was the first, the firstborn, firstborn among many, right? And that Jesus Christ's righteousness, 
was a gift from God. And as you read uh, Romans 5.19, that the, so by the obedience of one sh- shall many be made righteous, um, he takes the unrighteous and makes them righteous by giving them a gift of righteousness, and that is through Jesus Christ. He maintains his justice. Let's turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 26. Romans chapter 3, verse 26. <coughs> it says this. <coughs> Romans chapter 3, verse 26. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. You, you want to know how God can take someone that is, that is under the wrath of God, the, under the judgment of God, and makes them a son? First of all, you need to understand that, that God knows everything. But secondly, he gave us the gift of righteousness. And that's by faith in Jesus Christ. And so what I'm trying to tell you tonight, church, is that, <clears throat> that practically... Um, Positionally, and I say this all the time, positionally, in the sight of Christ, he does not see our sin. Why? Because he see, he's imputed Christ's righteousness upon us. That's who we are now, in Christ. But practically, and as we live with this flesh, every day we struggle. Every day we make mistakes. But the, the goal in the the, the reasoning why God has allowed us to stay here is not just to be a light to the whole the darkness of this world, but, but for us to, to continue to develop, to become, to become like Christ. The process of salvation, yes, it begins when you bowed your head and you received him by faith, but your, your salvation doesn't stop there. The, the redemption doesn't just stop there. It continues on. And as it develops in your life and as you, uh, you are allowed to <clears throat> have opportunities to, to, to work your faith, God not just justifies you when you got saved, he sanctifies you, he puts you aside. He sets you apart. And so we continue on, not only that, and lastly, it's nice and simple, I told you I won't be long tonight. Um, lastly, God is immutable. I know we've talked about so many different uh, attributes of God, but you have to understand that they build on each other. Um, the attributes of, of, of God is, every time we study it again, it just, it just reminds me that, that in order for him to be this, he also needs to be this. In order for him to be this, then he has to be this. In order for him to be perfect, then he has to have perfect holiness. In order for him to have holiness, he must be righteous. He must need to be omniscient and omnipotent. He, he, must, he must be immutable. And so all these attributes that we're talking about, and I know we're singling him out sometimes, we need to understand this is just a, a glimpse of his entirety. It cannot be separated. But here what we find is that the, the third point, not only is that, that, that God knows everything or, or that God gave us the, the gift of righteousness, of reconciliation through Jesus Christ in the gospel, but he's also thirdly, he doesn't change. He's immutable. Imagine someone playing a game of sports, and we, we did this in, <coughs> in camp, and, 
and we played a, we played a game that, 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 that we planned on playing for four weeks in advance. We knew the game in and out. We knew the rules that had to take place. But when we played the game, the rules were changed. We saw things that, that, that were questionable, that needed, to, that needed to alter what we allowed the kids to play. And it wasn't physical. It wasn't any <coughs> sexual thing. It was just it was practically, it made sense in our mind. Um, theoretically, it made sense in our mind, but practically, it didn't make any sense. And so the kids were running around doing, they didn't know what to do. And so do you know what we needed to do? We needed to change the rules. God does not change the rules. God has never changed the rules. God has never developed the rules. The rules remain the same. Amen? That should be encouraging you. Why? Because imagine him turning around to that woman after writing down on the, on the floor this truth. And, and from the eldest to the least, they, they walked out of that room. And the only people that were there was Jesus and the adulterous woman. Imagine if he turned around and said, you know what? <clears throat> Where's your act? Where's, who's your accusers? Where's your accusers? Accusers. Well, they're not here. There's no one. Imagine him turning around, but you know what? I'm still judging you. You're going to get thrown out, and I'm going to throw rocks at you until you die. Imagine that. That doesn't make any sense. God does not change the rules, and that's why it's so, he can't separate his justice with his immutability. Why? Because if he kept changing the rules, my friend, he wouldn't be just to one generation compared to another. It's always been by faith. Amen? Do you believe that? Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's about going to the, going to the, the tabernacle and then, and, then, and then killing the animal and having a sacrifice. It was about works. No, it wasn't. It was about faith. They did that because they had faith in what it was picturing. You understand, church? And so we need to understand that God does not change. And so that should solidify us in understanding that because God is not just the standard, not just trying to keep up with the standard, He is the standard, that, <laughs> that your salvation is secure. That the promises of Scripture in your life does not change based on your circumstance. No, no. They're given to you. God has not changed the boundaries. And so that verse that God has laid upon your heart to, to go overseas or, or to do something great for God or, or the calling in your life for me is it Galatians 2.20. The verses that were given to me in the past are still the same verses. Why? Because God does not change. And I can rest assured on Scripture. Why? Because God doesn't, not, doesn't have to go and write another book of Southland every time we have a problem in our church. Everything He needs us to know is already in the Bible. He didn't write another second book or a third book in order to, to, to talk about the errors or the issues of a modern-day church. No, he's already provided the answers in Scripture. The problem is we don't look at the Scripture and obey the Scripture. And so if you're having problems in your life, look, read some great books, and I, I, I commend you to do that. But get back to the Bible. Get back to seeing what God has to say to you. Not just someone else's synopsis on what they read and, and what food they got. No, get your own bread. 
And the reason why I'm saying this, church, is that, one, God is just. And His justice is, is perfect. His righteousness is perfect. And the moment we stop seeing ourselves, or the moment we stop seeing our neighbors as, as wicked people that are under the condemnation of God, then the, that's the moment when we start removing that pressure. I talked to, uh, talked to a young lady fairly recently. And long story short, she doesn't believe in God anymore. And, and it broke my heart. I said, are you happy? She looked at me and she goes, what do you mean? I said, are you happy that you, you say that there is no God now? She goes, um, never thought about that. Were you unhappy when you came to church? No. But are you happy now? Now that you're out of church? And this is the words that she said to me. She said, I can walk into a room and not have to care about anybody in there, about their soul and them going to hell. That's what she said to me. There is no pressure on me anymore to tell people about Jesus. And I looked at her you missed the point. And yeah, I could have used the scriptures. 100% I could have. It would take him to the full set. There is no God. We could take him to many passages of scripture. But when she said that I have lost the urge and the responsibility to share the gospel to anyone because now there is no God, so that means there is no hell. So I don't have any more pressure. I could live like whatever I want. I could, I, could, I could be whoever I want. I could see whoever I want. I could date whoever I want. It's, there's no pressure with me and God anymore because God doesn't exist. And I looked at that life and it hurt my heart. But church, how many times have we stopped looking at people as, as souls that need to hear about Jesus and re- replaced it with a coworker? We've, we've replaced it with friend. We've replaced it with a good guy or, 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 or intellectual person. And we sort of fear those, those types of people. Why? Because, because no longer are we seeing people for who they are. We're seeing them for what we, we think they are. And it's no longer about the wickedness. And that's why so many people think that salvation is so cheap. Why? Because... Again, the emphasis of wickedness and the separation between God and man because of sin is not there anymore. It's like, okay, one, two, three, but, uh, just, just repeat after me and everything's fine. It doesn't work like that, church. There needs to be a reason why they repent. There needs to be a reason why they are convicted of their sin because they didn't, they didn't sin towards their mom and dad. They sinned towards God. And the punishment of a just and holy God is eternal damnation in hell. And we need to see it for the way it is, church. Because God is just. And he, he will not take your excuses when you're in heaven. And I keep saying this time and time again, and, I, and, <clears throat> and the concept is still the same for me. I cannot protect my wife when, he's, when she stands before God and gives an account for her life. I cannot protect her. I will not be able to. 
Mommy and daddy won't be there for you to protect you and to say, you know what, she was just struggling with that for a little bit and she just, she was trying to get right, God. She was trying to do everything in her power to get out of that situation. No, no, they will not be able to protect you. Why? It's between you and God now. And for me as a father, and I look at my kids and I know they're young and I know that they're, they're, they're still growing. They're like less than five years old. But one day they'll stand before God and, and, and as a father, how did I gear my life to train them up right? To, to give them the best ability to see God face to face and say, you know what, my dad, he always dragged me along to church. He always calls me to read my Bible. We always did devotions at night. The reasons why we do this, church, is because God is just. Amen? God is just. God is righteous. But God can take something that's so wicked us and by taking the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ allows us to become sons of God isn't that beautiful I don't know about you church but today I, I fell, I had sin but God loves me enough that he sees me as perfect through Jesus Christ. And so, another attribute that we talked about, how does it affect us? How does it change us? Yeah, we can talk about how God is loving, God is merciful. How does it change your life? As we unpack just a little bit of this concept and this thought that God is able to change the wicked to someone just because he has omniscience, because Jesus Christ became the atonement for sin, thus satisfying the sin debt. Because God is immutable, he does not change. He can take someone that deserves condemnation and be at peace with them. Isn't that crazy? <clears throat> Malachi 3.6 For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob, I am not consumed. Numbers 23.19 God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man, that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and, hath, and, and shall he not make it good? Isaiah 46, 9, Remember the former things of old. For I am God, there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Uh, Isaiah 46, verse 10 to 11, <clears throat> Declaring the end from the beginning, and from the ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Call the ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from the far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. But church, Romans 11.33, oh, the depth of the riches of both the, of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Our God is just. These are one of his attributes. Because our God is just, it should propel us to do something in our life. It should cause us to change a thinking process. And that is, how am I living my life knowing that there is a just judge that I will be accountable to? And it's not about guilt-tripping people. I'm just telling the truth about the Bible. One day we'll stand before God. What will we give? What things will we cast at his feet? Or will they all just go up in smoke? Because we're too concerned about everybody here, everything down here. Church, we need to understand that our God is just. And his righteousness and his judgments are pure. He is not just the stand, he's not just keeping with the standard, he is the standard. He is not just just. He is justice. God is justice. Amen. I know it's heavy, and I know it's <clears throat> when I'm preaching to you, church, understand this. I'm preaching to myself. And God rebukes me just as much as he does with you. But we need to apply it. Let it not just be head knowledge. But apply it in our life. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, again, we... <coughs> again, do, do far more than the words that I speak, Father God. Use the Holy Spirit to, to speak to the lives of your people. And, and Father, I thank you that you don't change. I thank you, Father, for the promises of Scripture that you give us that I can rely on and be solidly founded on and base my whole life upon, knowing that you won't change the boundaries, knowing that you won't change the rules. But Father God, you never change. So your judgments are pure. And so again tonight, Lord, I ask that the Holy Spirit will work and that we change. Father, if, if not change, reinforce some things that we know and what we stand on already. We thank you for the word of God. <coughs> Bless tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.